A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Happy New Year to everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the OGRS, the original great Rob Silver. And today, being that there are no major fights, actually no cards occurred at all, I'm recording this late evening Christmas Eve on a Saturday night. I normally record the podcast on Sundays or Mondays, but there are no fights this week. So, instead of a our usual recap of the fights, I will be giving you my year-end top 10 pound-for-pound pound best fighters in the world on the pound-for-pound pound podcast. So, you'll be getting my top 10 pound-for-pound. Pound. You will be getting another extended Q&A question and answer session, being that there were no fights this weekend. And... I will conclude the episode with a historical overview, a historical retrospective of the recently deceased legendary Atlantic City referee Steve Smoger. So, before I go and reveal the 2022 year-end pound-for-pound podcast top 10 pound-for-pound fighters in the world... I've been doing a Patreon podcast on the Fight Game Media Network Patreon page the entire year. I've got one more episode to record, which I will be doing on Christmas Day. So tomorrow, I'll be, well, I am recording. (laughs) Excuse me one second. (laughs) I will be recording my final greatest upset. In boxing history, tomorrow on Christmas Day, which will round out my top 10 greatest upsets in boxing history. And real quick, nine have been recorded so far. Uh, 
let me run down the nine prior to the one I'm going to record tomorrow. We have Roberto Duran versus Esteban de Jesus, November of 1972. Esteban de Jesus Incredible upset of the then undefeated Roberto Duran, who was the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. Non-title fight at 140 pounds. Villamar Fernandez's July 1978. Ridiculous upset of Alexis Arguello, who was the junior lightweight champion at the time, the WBC version. And that was a non-title fight at 135 instead of 130. Arguello was the 130-pound champion. Lloyd Hunnigan's shocking upset of Donald Curry, September 1986, to win the undisputed welterweight championship of the world. All right, so that's that's three so far. Let's continue. We had Iran Barkley shockingly knocking out Thomas Hearns after taking a horrendous beating in the third round, June of 1988, to win the WBC middleweight championship. Hmm, I've got, I'm trying to make sure I, I've done so many this year. That's four so far. That's four, so I got five more to, to, to tell you that I've recorded so far. All right, and also on the greatest upsets in boxing history, we had, hmm, man. Oh, yes, Cassius Clay, who then became Muhammad Ali's shocking one-sided boxing Virtuoso performance against Sonny Liston, February 25th, 1964. All right, so let me continue. Let me continue to make sure that I get all these correct because I'm trying to make sure that I get these. Oh, yes. You had the shocking upset. Haseen Rockman's one-punch knockout, April 2001 of Lennox Lewis. A one-punch knockout. Now... I'm beginning to forget. <coughs> Man, excuse me. That was a very loud cough. Uh, the weather in New York City has been ridiculous the last two days. But you know what? I can't complain. We didn't get hit with the snow like Detroit and Buffalo and other areas near Canada that just got flooded with snow my girlfriend is in rochester visiting her parents for for the christmas christmas holiday break and she her car is buried under snow out there in uh rochester good thing she drove up saturday into sunday last week the 17th and 18th not today christmas eve all right so i'm i got got a couple of more for the greatest upsets in boxing history, God, Lord, my memory is faltering. All right, you know what? You guys got to check the Patreon page because I'm showing early signs of dementia. I also recently that will be re- that I recently recorded that will be released sometime in the next few days. Randy Turpin's shocking upset over Sugar Ray Robinson and. I'll be recording tomorrow the the upset I consider the greatest upset of all time, Buster Douglas's uh tenth round knockout of Mike Tyson. So there you go, eight of my top ten greatest upsets in boxing history. There's ten altogether, but uh the mind is faltering a bit, ladies and gentlemen. It's faltering a little bit. Oh yeah, there was also Frankie Randall's. 
twelve round decision over Julio Cesar Chavez. That would that's another one. So I'm just missing one, and I'm if I think about it later on in the podcast, I'll bring it up. Uh, for five dollars a month, go to the go to the link in the description of the podcast. You could click for you click on the link, and if you're interested for five dollars a month, you can hear the entire ten part series of the greatest upsets in boxing history. That's my individual podcast but if for, for you wrestling and mixed martial art fans we have exclusive coverage of ufc bellator wwe aew nwa mlw new japan all japan you name it the wrestling experts and the mixed martial artist experts on the websites on the fight game media network website covers it all and I'm the one boxing expert, historian on the website. All right. Now, on to my top 10 pound for pound going into the year 2023. Number 10 is Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury right now, uh, to me, is the only real heavyweight champion of the world. I know Alexander Usyk, who I have a little bit higher, has three of the four quote-unquote criminal cartel alphabet soup championships, but Tyson Fury has the better resume at heavyweight, defeated Deontay Wilder twice, defeated Vladimir Klitschko. He beat Klitschko when nobody had beaten Klitschko in over a decade. So I've got Tyson Fury at number 10, even though he had a less than stellar 2022 beating two zombies and Dillian White and Derek Chisora. Tyson Fury still is the man, in my opinion, to beat at heavyweight. He is, in my opinion, the true heavyweight champion of the world. Number nine is two belt holder at 122 pounds. Cool boy Stephen Fulton, who I met at the Barclays Center on October 8th. When I went to see uh, Robert Hellenius get knocked out by one shot in the first round by Deontay Wilder. Met Cool Boy Steven. Not only is the brother cool, but he has the same type of taste in women that I do. He loves a big button and a smile. She is delicious, his woman. Steven Cool Boy Fulton, number nine. And he, in my opinion, is a modern day Meldrick Taylor, which is apropos being that they're both from Philly. My number eight pound for pound best fighter in the world is Arthur Betterbeev. Arthur Betterbeev has destroyed one levy, one light heavyweight after another, and I want to see him hopefully in 2023 face Dimitri Bavol, who is a little bit higher up on my uh, pound-for-pound rankings. Number seven is the undisputed lightweight champion of the world, Devin Haney. He's my number seven pound-for-pound. The man is the only man to beat at 135. Everybody stay in line. Lomachenko might be next, and Lomachenko is going to get embarrassed. Devin Haney, my number seven pound-for-pound fighter in the world today. Number six is my... 2022 fighter of the year is my number six pound for pound fighter and that's Dimitri Bavall. Bavall had a spectacular 2022 easily defeating both Canelo Alvarez and Zerto Ramirez two Mexican stars two uh, 
quote unquote Mexican assassins. Well, he assassinated both of them. Number six, Dimitri Baval. Number five, the single best defensive fighter on the planet. No one comes close, and that's Shakur Stevenson, who moved up to 135, and like I predicted several months ago, late 2023, the big fight will be, in my opinion, Shakur Stevenson versus Devin Haney. Now, my number four, pound-for-pound fighter in the world is Alexander Usyk, who holds three of the four Alphabet Soup titles at heavyweight. Hopefully in 2023, we see Usyk versus Tyson Fury in a battle of the best two heavyweights on the planet. Number three is Errol Spence. He's been a long-time welterweight champion, over five years now. He's had a tremendous career at, at 147 pounds. And this despite the fact that he almost died in a car accident, that he had a near-career-ending eye injury. He continues to reign supreme at 147, and there's only one fight left for him, and that's my number two pound-for-pound fight in the world, Terrence Crawford, who recently destroyed uh, a guy who had no business being in the ring with him with one shot, David Avenesian. And my number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world... The greatest Japanese fighter of all time, and it's not even close, and that is the monster, Naoya Inoue. The undisputed bantamweight champion of the world, moving up to 122, because no, no, no need for him to be at 118. He cleaned out that division. There's only one man for him to face at 122, and that would be a great fight, and that is Stephen Coolboy Fulton. Hopefully, that's a fight that could be made in 2023. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, on to the Q&A session. And now, for those who want me to answer the uh, their boxing questions, questions on relationships, questions on uh, sports, music, you can ask anything. Hashtag Ask Rob Silver, and I will answer your question as thoroughly as possible. Now, real quick, if it's a fight, if it's a question about who I think is going to win an upcoming fight, I'm not going to answer it. I only do predictions the week before the fight, not four, five, six months a year in advance. I don't do that. So that's one question you should not ask. All right. First question up is from a frequent contributor of questions, and that is my brother, uh, Big Malcolm X play cousin. He asked, 
give your top five best and worst performances by a referee. Now, Malcolm, you know, whenever you ask me a question, I do no research. Do this off the top of my head. So let's go with five worst. Okay. Five worst. Recently, I did the Patreon podcast. It will be available sometime this week. It might be out by the time you hear this one. You may want to subscribe for the $5 a month and listen to my uh, rundown. And I did a, what I did was a, a watch along of Randy Turpin's shocking upset of, Rand, uh, of Sugar Ray Robinson. The referee in that, in that uh, fight did a horrible job, horrible job in referee in the fight. It was horrible, horrible. For the entire 15 rounds, Randall Turpin was allowed to hold Sugar Ray Robinson in a clinch round after round after round and hit Sugar Ray Robinson several times in the back of the head with rabbit punches, and Sugar Ray would have to respond. But it was always... Randy Turpin that initiated the rabbit punches while holding and hitting. And referee Eugene Anderson was the referee, and he warned Turpin a few times. But then after the sixth, seventh round, he didn't warn him. <coughs> he didn't warn him again. Turpin deservedly won the decision because Sugar Ray Robinson uh, unwisely allowed Turpin to get inside and clinch. If Sugar Ray Robinson would have just boxed. Think he would have won the fight, but he was he allowed Turpin to get inside and he allowed himself to be held and he allowed himself to be hit on the head. But that being said, those were legal shots. Sugar Ray Robinson died of Alzheimer's disease at the very young age nowadays of 69 years old. Imagine if he wouldn't have got hit with those type of shots. That definitely didn't help. Definitely had to have been a factor in him developing Alzheimer's in the 60s. Sugar Ray Robinson versus Randall Turpin. Referee Eugene Henderson with a horrible refereeing job. Horrible. One of the worst, if not the worst, referee job I ever remember. And I've talked about this several times in articles and other podcasts. Is the referee from the, from the Nigel Ben versus... Nigel Ben versus Gerald McClellan fight. That was horrible. That was ridiculous what that referee did. It was pathetic. Pathetic. I still... I am going to try to not be too... uh, Critical. But I'm going to be critical. Fuck that. Referee was horrible. Referee... Within the first 30 seconds of the fight, Gerald McClellan was knocked out of the... I mean, Gerald McClellan knocked Nigel Ben out of the ring. And the referee... Man. Just pathetic. Pathetic. Ben was outside the ring for 13 seconds. And 
he was able to get back inside the ring and made it back up and barely survived the first round. Barely survived the first round. Referee Alfred Asado was just playing a competent. First of all, I never saw this referee before. It was the first time I ever saw him, and I don't think I've seen him since. He was horrendous throughout the entire fight. And then in the ninth round, McClellan hurts Ben, and Ben comes running and headbutts McClellan. And the referee doesn't warn Nigel Ben. The following round, McClellan's eyes start blinking, which I believe was a result of that headbutt, and finally goes down, and he's counted out. Nigel Ben wins a great, great fight. It's one of the greatest fights ever in history is from the weight division. But the referee, Alfred Alcero, was just pathetic. He was just horrible. He was horrible. And it was his slow count when Ben was knocked out the ring and then allowing Ben to headbutt McClellan without deducting any points, without possibly even disqualifying him, that caused Nigel Ben to, lo- I mean, Gerald McClellan not only to lose the fight, but to be paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of his life to this day. So uh, those are two so far. Got three more to give you, uh, Malcolm. Uh, two out of two out of two so far. So let's think. A lot of people are going to say Richard Steele refereeing both the uh, Mike Tyson, Razor Ruddick first fight and the fight between Meldrick Taylor, Julio Cesar Chavez. I'm going to tell you this. You could combine them both as one because I think he stopped the Tyson Ruddick fight way too soon. As far as Meldrick Taylor versus Julio Cesar Chavez went, Taylor didn't respond. He was looking at his corner because Lou Duva distracted him. And what is Richard Steele supposed to do? I know there was only two seconds left in the fight and Taylor was way ahead. But what's he supposed to do? He's trying to follow the letter of the law. So partially for that, but I will put more on his stoppage, stopping the Razor Ruddick had just got buckled, but he wasn't out on his feet. That was a very quick stoppage. Mike Tyson versus Razor Razor Ruddick, the very first fight. Now, a couple of Eusebio Pedroza fights that were real, real bad. The referee was just pathetic in both those fights. Um, Let's go to the very first one, and that's his fight with Rocky Lockridge, his first fight with Rocky Lockridge, which was a uh, this was pathetic. This was pathetic. I believe it was October 4th, 1980. The fight was took place in New Jersey. I believe it, it, it took place at the Playboy Club in McAfee, New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. The referee was the South African referee, Stanley Christodoulou. And Christodoulou let Eusebio Pedroza hit Rocky Lockridge with every type of illegal shot above and below the belt. 
Pedroza should have been inducted several times. He should have been disqualified. He was dirty. And the referee allowed it to continue. Not only that, Christodoulos was one of the judges and gave the fight to Pedroza, even though I thought Pedroza lost 9, 10 rounds in that fight in one of the worst decisions in boxing history. So there you go. I think I think that one was worse than the refereeing the referee that refereed Eusebio Pedroza versus Juan Laporte. I'll put Pedroza versus Lockridge first. And what is my fifth worst? Job done by a referee? Let me think. I'm doing all these off the top of my head, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm trying to uh, focus on this. There's been so many controversial fights throughout the history of professional boxing. I'm trying to think of one recently. Was there a was there a count that went too far? All right. Okay. All right, Malcolm. I got it. I just thought about it. Marlon Stalling. Marlon Stalling, when he lost the title, when he lost his world welterweight title, I believe it was his WBA welterweight title. I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to get this correct now. It, 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 it was, it's horrible that he lost this fight despite the... It, I mean, he lost the title, but they... Uh, <laughs> they uh, reversed the decision. They made the decision of no contest, but he still lost the title. I never understood that. Never understood that. How you lose the title. Uh, lose the title, but you didn't lose the fight. It was his fight against Thomas Molinaris. Referee Joe Cortez, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Cortez is one of the most overrated referees in boxing history. He's in the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Doesn't belong there. I'm fair and I'm firm. Bullshit. After the after the sixth round ended, Marlon Stalin let his guard down and he got hit unguarded with a devastating shot that knocked him out cold. And instead of disqualifying Molinaris, Cortez counted Stalling out. So there you go. Malcolm, the five worst jobs ever done by a referee. Now let's go to the five best jobs done by a referee. Mills Lane in the second Tyson versus Holyfield fight did a phenomenal job. Because as soon as Mike did that second bite of Holyfield's ears, he disqualified Mike. He disqualified Mike and he kept the fight from breaking out into a all-out riot. It's one of my five greatest referee jobs ever done by a referee. Uh, another great job done by a referee, Steve Smoger, when he refereed the first Kelly Pavlik versus Jermaine Taylor fight in which he gave Pavlik a chance when Pavlik got hurt and dropped early in the fight. And then he gave Jermaine Taylor the benefit of the doubt before finally having to stop the fight when Taylor had nothing left. 
and I'll discuss that more when I do the Steve Smoker uh, tribute. So those are right there. There you go. Mills Lane, Holyfield versus Tyson 2, Steve Smoker, the first fight between Kelly Pavlik and Jermaine Taylor. Now, I want to make sure that I... I, I don't want to include uh, Mills Lane and um, Smoker two times. I want to do one individual fight per referee. I want to do five different referees. So another one, Arthur McCanty, did one of the greatest referee jobs, if not the greatest refereeing job of all time, in the fight, Muhammad Ali versus... Joe Frazier, March 8th, 1971. Arthur McCanty was under a lot of pressure, as was Ali and Frazier. This was the single biggest fight in the history of boxing. Madison Square Garden, his nickname, The Fight. And McCanty was phenomenal. Phenomenal. He warned Ali for playing too much. He warned Ali for holding too much. And he refereed a flawless fight. And he judged, rightfully so, Frazier as the winner in the fight as he was one of the three judges as well as the referee. So uh, there you go. You got McCanty. You got Smoger. You got Mills Lane. Who else makes my five greatest of all time? Referee Jay Nady did a phenomenal job in the Costa Zoo-Zab Judah fight. Rightfully stopped the fight when Zab Judah went down three, four times from a right hand, from one right hand, and he stopped the fight. Judah was out on his feet. And Jay Nagy, he kept his composure when Zab tried to throw a stool at him. Referee Jay Nagy kept his composure, and he did a spectacular job refereeing that fight. So we got one more to go as far as greatest performances by a referee. I'm trying to think. And I did my greatest referees of all time. Who did a phenomenal job? And then who rightfully stopped the fight when he had to stop a fight? I'm trying to think, ladies and gentlemen. I'm trying to think. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing this off the top of my head. <laughs> We've got Smoger. We got Mills. We've got Arthur McCanty. We've got Jane Eighty. Who else is? I don't. I don't want to duplicate any of the referees. I want one different referee per uh, fight. So I'm trying to think who did what, when, where, and how. Trying to tell. Man, so many. There's been so many legendary fights, ladies and gentlemen. So many. And I'm trying to think. Okay, here it is. This guy did a hell of a job. Did a hell of a job. And that was a fight that... My father and I attended. Roberto Duran versus Davey Moore. June 16th, 1983 on Duran's birthday. Referee Ernesto Magana did a spectacular job refereeing that fight and stopping it when it had to be stopped. 
So there you go, Malcolm. Ernesto Magana, Roberto Duran versus Davey Moore. Mills Lane, Tyson Holyfield 2. Arthur McCanty, Frazier Ali 1. Jay Nagy, Kasazu versus Zab Judah. Steve Smoger, Kelly Pavlik versus Jermaine Taylor 1. All right. Oh, man. Now that was a very thorough answer from a very great question from one of my best listeners in Malcolm. All right, back to ask back to ask Rob Silver. Carl Bristol asks, "What's up, Carl? To establish true rankings in any panel class independent of the alphabet soups, what would be your criteria for established rankings? For example, fights against other rank fighters, method of victory, last show and win or loss, quality opponents for fighters yet to fight each other. You know what?" Those are all, Carl, all of those are exactly what you should look for in ranking a fighter. You should not rank a fighter on potential or because of his promoter or network affiliation, which 90% of these boxes are ranked before they should be ranked. For example, I don't know where he's ranked because I don't pay attention to the alphabet soup rankings. I'm high on Xander Zayas. I think he's going to be an all-time great Puerto Rican fighter. I think he's going to be the first Puerto Rican to rule the middleweight division for for a very long time. He has fought nobody, and he's ranked. I don't know where he's ranked, but he's ranked. Fighters like Xander Zayas, like Keyshawn Davis, uh... Well, we can't count Frank Martin anymore. He just beat a, a contender in Michelle Rivera. But uh, before he fought Michelle Rivera, Frank Martin was ra- ranked. And he didn't deserve being he did not he did not deserve being ranked because he didn't meet any of that criteria. Carl, the criteria you laid out is exactly what I'm looking for when ranking a fighter. And if I had the overall rankings that's what I'll be looking for. Too many times we saw Triple G face a number one fighter from parts unknown who never beat anybody, and he beat the guy up, and then the middle-aged media was like, oh, another number one contender that Triple G beat. Yeah, another number one bum. The fuck out of here. Great question as always, Carl. All right, now. On to the next question. LL School K. He got this from that bullshit the zone boxing um Twitter page. But I'll I'll answer this question. If you could watch one fighter in their prime again, who would it be and why? That would be my all time favorite fighter. The first fighter I idolized, Thomas Hearns. He was a joy to watch. Like I said many a times on this podcast and other podcasts and articles I've written, Nayoa Monster Noe is a modern day Thomas Hearns. When you look at it, Noe you see a smaller version of Thomas Hearns. Everything off that battering ram of a left jab, every single punch mastered. Thomas Hearns had one of the greatest jabs in boxing history. He had one of the greatest right crosses in boxing history. He had one of the greatest left hooks to the body in boxing history. He had one of the greatest uppercuts in boxing history. Every single punch, left hook, right cross, hooks to the body, uppercuts, and especially the left jab, of course, the signature right cross. He gets an A for 
every one of those punches, an A-plus for the jab and an A-plus for the right cross. So I would love to see a 20-year-old Thomas Hearns make his pro debut again today like I did back in 1977 when he was 20 years old and I was a mere eight years old. Okay, let me go on to another question. Great question, by the way, uh, that you uh, took from uh, that horrible Twitter uh, account. Okay. I know I got another question somewhere here. Let me see. Sugar Hill, Rob, Rob Sugar Hill from Philly. What's up, Rob? He asked, I think you would have made a great referee or a boxing judge. Was there ever a time where you would have considered doing either? I talked about this with my father about 30, 25 to 30 years ago, early to mid-90s. He was, we'd watched, we always watched the fights together since I was eight years old, up until when I was 32 when he passed away in 2000. My father and I almost saw every major fight on television, closed circuit, pay-per-view, you named it, we saw it together. And he would always go, you know what? You have a great eye for judging. And my father also had a great eye for judging. My father's like, would you, wouldn't you, why don't you take the test, the New York State Athletic Commission test, to become a judge? The reason I didn't try, Rob, to do either was I'm scared of leaving the country. And to be a referee, a licensed referee in New York State or a licensed judge in New York State, sometimes you get assignments out of the country. You have to have your passport. I've never gotten my passport because I'm afraid to leave the United States of America. Too many incidents have happened with my people in other countries. I'm afraid. I do not want to get caught out there. And how am I getting home? Because once they got a hold of you, it's a wrap. Even if you are a world famous athlete, you have a hard time getting out of the country. So imagine if you're just a regular Joe like me. So that's one of the reasons why I decided not to apply myself to becoming a judge or referee. But you know what? As far as judging goes, a guy that should be a judge that's not a judge is Hall of Fame boxing announcer and writer Steve Farhood because 95% or more of the time, his scorecard and my scorecard are damn near duplicates. They are almost exact replicas. Last week's fight, Frank Martin versus Michelle Rivera, once again, Steve and I had the same exact scorecard. That's one guy that always calls it down the line, calls it right, because he's not favoring everybody or anybody. He, like myself, judges by seeing what his eyes tell him. Great question, Carl. One last question, and then we will head to the Steve Smoker retrospective. And the final question is, what happened to my questions? My final question. Where is it? From oh, across the pond, from Kai's. 
Kai's from the UK. Kai's ask. Top three one-punch knockout powers of my lifetime. So we're talking from 1977 till today. So the top three fighters I've seen with one-punch knockout, Thomas Hearns, I mentioned him earlier, Deontay Wilder, I mentioned him earlier, and Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones Jr. had shocking one-punch knockout power. Ask Virgil Hill. Ask Montel Griffin. Ask Thomas Tate. Ask Tony Thornton. So those are my three. Roy Jones, in no no particular order. Roy Jones Jr., Deontay Wilder, and of course, Thomas Hitman Hearns. Uh, Nassim Hamed had great you know, honorable mentions. Nassim Hamed, Mike Tyson. They both had incredible one-punch knockout power. Anthony Joshua, up until a few years ago, had spectacular one-punch knockout power. Lennox Lewis. Had spectacular one-punch knockout power when need be. Uh, Matthew Saad Muhammad. Uh, the the wife beater, uh, Arturo Gatti, had spectacular one-punch knockout power. Only only problem is he was one-dimensional. He was like an agent slugger in baseball. He, he either struck out or hit a home run. So there you go. Hearns, Wilder, and Roy Jones Jr. Now! On to my historical retrospective on the man who died 10 days ago, Steve Smoger, at the, I'm going to say tender age of 72 because he's only three years younger than my mother. My mother's 75 is still around. Smoger kept his uh, health issues to himself and died at 72. Steve Smoger was like Mills Lane. A former prosecutor, judge, lawyer, par excellence, got his um, undergrad in uh, undergrad degree in law from Penn State. Uh, I forgot where he got his law degree from, but it was definitely an established school. Began working in Atlantic City as a prosecutor in 1980, I believe. Then he became a, 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 a judge and, and a solicitor. And during this, he made his boxing referee debut in 1982. So we're talking 40 years ago, he began his career as a all-time great boxing referee. And then... In 2017, rightfully so, he was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. A few weeks ago when Mills Lane died, I mentioned my top five greatest referees of all time. Smoger would have been number six. Smoger was that great. And I want to mention three of the greatest fights he ever, uh, three of his greatest performances as a referee. Three fights that really proved that he was a great referee. The first one. Mickey Ward versus Emmanuel Burton. It was a Friday night fight that won fight of the year. He, Steve Smoger stayed out of the way, and you wouldn't know he was there. While Burton and Ward went toe-to-toe for 10 rounds, Smoger, like Mills Lane did with Larry Holmes versus Ken Norton in their, in their only fight, 
in the one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time. You didn't notice Mills Lane were there in Burton versus Ward. You didn't know Emmanuel. Uh, you didn't know. Oh, by the way, his Emmanuel Burton became Emmanuel Augustus. So let's just say Emmanuel Augustus versus Mickey Ward. Mickey Ward won the fight. But uh, you didn't know the smoke until the fight ended when he grabbed both guys and told them congratulations on a hell of a fight. Another fight I mentioned earlier, the way he refereed Kelly Pavlik versus Jermaine Taylor, the first fight. He gave Pavlik the benefit of the doubt when Pavlik was badly hurting her for first early in the fight when he got knocked down. Then Pavlik came back, and then Pavlik had Taylor badly hurt. He gave Taylor every chance in the world before Pavlik had Taylor up against the ropes, batted, knocked him down in the corner. Taylor was out, and Smoga stopped the fight. Spectacular job by Steve Smoger. Spectacular job. And the final fight that I want to talk about in his historical overview of the greatness of Steve Smoger. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Smoger was the fan favorite when it came to referee. You saw Steve Smoger fight, uh, referee a fight? Know that he showed no favoritism and know that your fighter, whoever you were favoring, was going to get the benefit of the doubt. Smoker was not going to stop the fight until it had to be stopped. He was one of the greatest referees in boxing history when it came to stopping the fight at the right time. And that was more, not that was even more evident in the Bernard Hopkins versus Felix Trinidad September 29th, 2001 fight, Master Square Garden, a fight that I attended by myself because my father had died a year earlier. And my father always wanted to see Bernard versus Trinidad. Well, that's one of the dream matchups he always want, wanted. And he died before that fight could happen. So when I went to get the tickets, I said, you know what? I'm only buying one ticket. I can't take, I can't take my father. He passed. So I'm going to go see this fight by myself. And in front of a sold out 19 to 20,000 fans in Master Square Garden, Steve Smoker was under a lot of pressure because 80 to 85 percent of the garden was Puerto Rican rooting for Felix Trinidad. And Bernard put on one of the greatest performances in boxing history. And Smoker made sure there was no shenanigans. And when the fight finally ended, Smoga stopped it at the right time. Steve Smoga did a phenomenal job in that fight as he did in damn near every fight he ever refereed. Rest in peace to, see, to, to Steve Smoga, one of the greatest referees of any era of my lifetime and the sixth greatest referee, in my opinion, in the history of professional boxing. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to wish everybody a happy new year as the next time you will hear me will be in the new year. And when we come back, I can give you my prediction on the January 7th fight between Javante Davis and Hector Luis Garcia. Until then, I want everybody to have a joyous, joyous rest of their holiday and be blessed and be a blessing. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.